Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. I imagine you're tired of turkey, turkey tetrazzini, turkey sandwiches, turkey rolls, turkey whatever. <laughs> but go Broncos, huh? All right. <laughs> Two days ago, <clears throat> I was at a store. Yes, I was at a store on Friday. <laughs> I know. Not smart. <laughs> but I ran into a young mother, <clears throat> and I said, Hello. She had her baby with her, and, and she ignored me, and I said, Hello again, and she said, Oh, you're talking to me? I thought you were talking to my baby. <laughs> you know, that's the way babies are, right? I mean, you're a mother, you get ignored. Because everybody loves babies. You see a baby and, and you're just drawn to it. Because it's adorable, it's cute, it's full of potential and new life, and it's exciting to see a baby. It's a wonderful thing. But... Imagine after 20 years, if a baby hasn't grown. What if they're the same size? And they haven't developed intellectually. They haven't developed at all. We would call that a horrible, terrible tragedy. Because babies are adorable, they're cute, but they're meant to grow. They're meant to develop. Well, it's true in the body of Christ as well. We're brought in and a new Christian is exciting and fresh and we like their enthusiasm and we're drawn to that and it's wonderful. We like that. But they shouldn't stay that way. You see, we are meant to grow and the body of Christ as a whole is meant to grow. Individuals are meant to grow and the whole body together is meant to grow. Last week we started our series on the body, four weeks looking at the major metaphors in the scriptures that describe the church, what we're meant to be, so that we can begin to get a better grasp of what God has called us to be. Last week we talked first about the body, and we talked about our bodies and how Christ is the head, and the Spirit places us in the body, gifts us, and we are called and placed by the Spirit in a particular place in particular, with particular relationships and God empowers us to minister to one another for the common good. That's what God calls us to in the body and we're placed there. It's not really our choice. It's something God does. So the body is a spiritual body. The church is a spiritual body. It's not primarily a human institution. We saw that last week. But today, we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. And as we continue exploring this analogy of the body, we're taking two weeks on this one because it's a major one in the Scriptures. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, we'll see that the church is not only a spiritual body, but it's meant to be a growing body. A growing body. With all our unity in Christ, under one head, fed by the life of the Spirit, and yet diversity... We're all different. Look around you. All of us are different, and that's God's design. But we're all unified in our faith in Christ. In the midst of that, we are to be growing in Him. So we'll look at the passage today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and see God's overall plan for growth, 
the goal of growth and the means of growth. How does it happen? But maybe before we dig into the passage, we ought to look a little bit at what we're talking about when we talk about growth. Because we have different ideas about that. Pretty common out there is a whole church growth movement. And you can read a lot of books and go to seminars on church growth. And generally what you see out there in the Christian world is growth is, is seen as growth in numbers. And a lot of these books and seminars, what they do is they look at a church that is just exploding. And there's a number of churches like that that are just exploding in numbers. And you look at those numbers and you look at what's happening. And so they, they take the principles from that and they make a seminar about it so that you can go and you can try to apply those same principles to your own church. So maybe you can be exploding too. But notice it's all about numbers and programs. And if you read the right books, if you do the right thing, somehow maybe it can happen with you too. Well, that's kind of a worldly way, I think, to look at growth. Because when you look in the scriptures, spiritual growth has a lot more to do, the growth of the body has a lot more to do um, with spiritual growth in Christ that will include numbers, but that's not primary. Yes, there are programs, but that not, that's not ultimately how growth happens. It's spiritual growth. It's spiritual growth as individuals and as a body as a whole. So that's what we're looking at, spiritual growth, the body of Christ. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, where we see God's overall plan for growth of the body. It was he, Christ, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, or shepherds is the word, shepherds and teachers, to prepare or equip or mend God's people, the saints, for works of service, for ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up. That is God's overall plan. It's the big picture of how the church is to grow. So let's look at it. God gives certain gifted individuals, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, shepherds and teachers. He gives those to the body. And as we who are pastors and teachers, evangelists, etc., as we fulfill our calling to teach, to tenderly care for the body, as we fulfill our calling, then you as the body become prepared, equipped to minister, to use your gifts to serve. As you are taught and your thinking is changed, as the scriptures penetrate your mind and your heart, you'll begin to look for ways to serve. And then as you are serving, as the parts of the body begin to act as his hands and feet and minister to one another, the body grows. Notice the growth is not primarily by the pastor teachers. No, we prepare, we equip. But the growth happens as you serve one another, as you serve in the body. Listen to how Ray Stedman puts it in his wonderful little book, Body Life. He says, Note that each of the four support ministries, those four that are given in verse 11, have to do with the Word of God. The first two, apostles and prophets, are concerned with originating and expounding the word, while the last two, evangelists and pastor teachers, 
are concerned with applying the word to individual lives. The evangelist deals with the beginning of Christian life while the teaching pastor or shepherd is involved with the development and growth of that life. Evangelists are basically obstetricians having to do with birth, while teaching pastors are pediatricians having to do with diet and diseases and the need for fresh air and exercise. So that's God's plan. That's the overall picture. Notice then that, pa- that shepherd, pastor teachers, shepherd teachers are essentially coaches. We are coaches helping get people ready to do the ministry. You are the ministers, not us. But see, the, over church history, we got confused. And over time, we began to call the pastors the ministers. That's not what the scriptures say. You are the ministers of the body. And that caused a lot of confusion. Again, Ray Sedman says, when the ministry was thus left to the professionals, there was nothing left for the people to do other than to come to church and listen. They were told that it was their responsibility to bring the world into the church building to hear the pastor preach the gospel. Soon Christianity became nothing but a spectator sport, very much akin to the definition of football. Twenty-two men down on the field desperately in need of rest, and 30,000 in the grandstands, desperately in need of exercise. (laughs) That's what the church has become, and I think God is beginning a new movement among us to encourage us to see, no, you're the ministers. God's called you to begin to get involved as part of the body. You're the one who does the movement. You're the one who reaches out in the community and shares Christ. My job is simply to teach so that you're equipped and prepared to do that. That is God's overall plan for growth. That's how growth happens when you begin using your gifts. But what's the goal? What is growth headed towards? What what does spiritual growth look like? How do we know that we've grown? Let me say one thing, that it's not something that happens, according to this passage, on our own. It happens in the context of the whole body. For those of you who have said or maybe have heard someone say, you know, I don't need the church. It's just me and God. You know, my church is being up in the mountains on a stream, a little fly fishing. That's where I grow. Well, according to the scriptures, that's not true. You grow in the context of the body as we learn to walk together and serve one another and care for one another and use our gifts with one another. So what's the goal? What does it look like? How do we know if someone's grown or not? With a baby, it's pretty easy. They get bigger. (laughs) And they start developing, so they start beginning to say words and they start getting control of their muscles They start rolling over and then they learn to walk and you can watch them grow and develop right before your eyes. But it's a little harder to say, how do do we know we're growing spiritually? When we look at ourselves or at one another, what are we looking for that says, I am growing in Christ? He gives us three goals of growth in this passage, verse 13 and 14. Unity, maturity, and stability. Unity, maturity, and stability. Listen to verse 13, until we all attain or reach 
This is where we're headed. This is maturity. This is what God's called us to. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So he says, the way you know you're growing up is you're developing greater unity. But it's not a unity that's organizational. He doesn't say that. It's not a unity that, okay, we are doing more things together or having more programs together or we, whatever. It's a unity, he says, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Faith, in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses it in a way to describe, it could be, in some passages, it could be um, in other books, the faith being doctrinal truth. But in the book of Ephesians, it's always trust in Jesus. Like back in chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's faith, it's trust in Him. That's how we're saved. And that's how we're to live the Christian life. And that's how our unity is to be expressed as we all learn to trust Jesus more, to walk with Him and we encourage one another in our faith, to trust Him, to walk with Him, to depend on Him. We grow closer together. As we grow closer to Him, we grow closer together. And our unity begins to be expressed by our faith because we're growing in our dependence. He says our unity is also expressed in our knowledge of the Son of God. Now, the word for knowledge, there's several words in Greek for knowledge. This one means a complete understanding, a, a personal understanding. It's not head knowledge. So the knowledge of the Son of God, he's talking about a personal intimacy. I've been married 26 years to Jeannie. And you know what? We can hardly stand to be apart. If she's gone overnight, I don't sleep. Why? Because our lives are so intertwined. There's an intimacy there. There's a knowledge of one another. And that's what he's saying here. As we grow in our understanding of Jesus, knowing him personally in our lives, where he is intertwined in our lives and we're depending on him more and more, our unity will be naturally expressed. So see, unity comes out of our relationship with God, depending on him, knowing Jesus better and better. And that's our goal, that kind of unity that's expressed in our relationships with him. The second goal that he says we are to strive for is maturity. Listen to what he says in verse 13. And we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does maturity look like? How do we define it? Is it that we become more pious and serious, and we pray more, and is that what we're talking about? Is it some kind of uh, self-righteousness? You know, the Pharisees defined righteousness at a level where they could attain it, but no one else really could. So they spent their time, they said, that's what maturity is, that's what righteousness is. So they spent their time congratulating themselves on how well they'd done, Look, we achieved it, and condemning everybody else because they didn't. So it must not be anything like that. So what does maturity look like? Well, he tells us, he says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, when you're growing, when my, when my boys were growing up, three boys, and they were getting taller and taller, 
we measured their height on the wall. But you know what they always measured their height against? Me. They all wanted to get bigger than me. You know, Dad is the standard. (laughs) And one's well taller than me and another one's about to pass me and, you know, that's what happens. But notice what he's saying here in this passage, what we should be measuring ourselves against is the life of Christ. To looking at his life and saying, am I mature yet? How am I doing? (laughs) Do I love as Jesus loved? Am I learning to sacrifice myself as he did? To have his attitudes towards others? To think of others first as Jesus did? To submit humbly, as he did, and we just sang about the humble king? Are we learning to set aside our rights in every situation so we never demand anything for ourselves, like he did? Are we learning to depend on the Father, like he did? Are we willing to die for the sake of others, as he did? You see, if we're measuring ourselves up to Jesus and we're saying, well, how am I doing? What I've found is over time, the gap gets bigger. (laughs) Because as I get to know him, I see how awesome he is, how incredible his love is. And I understand myself more and how in myself I can never measure up. I'm a sinner. And yet somehow in the midst of that, God is growing me up anyway. (laughs) But that's our standard, so we can never have a self-righteousness that says, oh, I've made it. (laughs) Because we're nowhere near Christ. But that's our goal. That's maturity. That's our standard of measurement. And if that's your standard of measurement, notice how it causes you to look at other people. Not with a critical, huh, you're not as far along as I am. (laughs) No, with a, man, we all have a long ways to go. Let's encourage each other. Let's build each other up. We're all far from what we need to be. So that's our standard to look at him and to want to measure up to who Christ is. Maturity. Unity in our relationship with him. Maturity. And then finally, our third goal is stability. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. We're to grow, right? We're not to be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Paul is saying, you know what? This is a stormy world. And there's all kinds of weird teaching out there. There's all kinds of doctrine, some okay, some not so good. There are men that will try to manipulate you and control you for their own ends. But we're not to be infants that where you get tossed back and forth by all that. Our goal is stability, where we have a stability in Christ that the storms don't affect us. So, I think what he's talking about here, to put it in a modern context, is there's some of us who love to get on the latest trend, Christian trend, you know, the latest book that's come out that seems to be life-changing and we jump on that, or the latest seminar, and we're always looking for the the latest thing that's going to make our lives better and we jump on this and jump on that and we get pulled around and tossed around by all these different things. And he's saying, no, you're to have a stability in your life that comes out of a consistent relationship with God 
and with one another. It's immature, it's childish to be controlled by the latest trend. Instead, we're to be wise because we live in a world that's full of lies and deceit and manipulation. So we need to stand firm in the gospel. So that's the goal. That's where we're headed as a body and as individuals. We're to be headed towards unity and maturity and stability. But how do we get there? How does growth happen? What's the mystery of growth? How does the body of Christ grow? He tells us in verses 15 and 16. He tells us that there's certain things that you need to help you grow, just like your physical body needs certain things to grow. You need food, you need water, you need exercise, you need sunshine, you need all these things to help you grow physically. You need certain things to help you grow spiritually too. And I think the passage shows us we need a balanced diet, we need healthy joints, and we need regular exercise. Verse 15. Instead of being tossed to and fro, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. How do we grow? What's a balanced diet? Truthing in love. Truthing in love. Now, that word speaking the truth in love really is broader than that. It's, it's having a life of integrity, a life lived according to the truth. It's living out the truth in love. Truth is absolutely necessary for us to grow. I'm indebted to Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, a book by Dr. Paul Brand, that draws this analogy of truth being like the skeletal system of our bodies, like the bones that are there. And bones are incredibly important. If you didn't have bones, you'd just be a a blob on the ground. (laughs) The bones provide strength. All your muscles attach to the bones by tendons. That's why you can move. They tighten and they pull on the different bones. The bones provide strength so that you can move things and touch. You couldn't do any of that without your skeletal system. That's what truth is like. You have to have truth. It provides the strength, that doctrinal truth. So you've got to be passing on truth to one another. But think for a minute. As you see this picture of the skeleton of a hand, how would you like to shake hands with that? How would you like to be caressed with that? You see, truth alone does damage. It can be harsh and cruel. And I've got to admit, I have given people truth in ways that were harmful. Truth is damaging, and I've received truth that way. You see, truth is absolutely necessary. We have to give truth. But he says, truthing in love. You see, truth needs to be covered by love, like the skeleton needs to be covered by skin. Look what the hand can do, the bones can do, if they're covered by skin. They can caress the most fragile thing in the universe, a premature baby. These are bones. That's bones. That's truth, folks. But it's covered in love. (laughs) Tenderness. Compassion. So what does this look like practically? 
What does it look like? I think this is expressed very well in Colossians. Well, wait, let me wait a moment before we get to Colossians. We'll get there in a moment. But it's that picture of kindness, of love, of care for one another. So the question, I guess, for all of us is, what are you expressing to one another in your relationships? The body can only grow if there's a balance of truth in love. Both. You need both. Maybe in your relationships you're only expressing truth. Well, you're probably doing harm. But if all you're doing is expressing love and always afraid to confront or share truth with other people, take them to the scriptures and show them reality, then you're probably not helping. You're not causing growth. But you need to have both. But love has to be what they feel first, right? As I've said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's true. They need to know we care. So we need a balanced diet. Secondly, we need healthy joints. Now, you're parts of the body. Each of us is a part of the body. But notice in verse 15, verse 16, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Literally, it's it joined and held together by the supply of every joint. What is, what is he talking about? Well, think about what the joints are. What is he talking about when he says joints? If you're part of the body and I'm part of the body, the joint is where we come together, isn't it? It's our relationships with one another. And so to grow in the body, he says, you need healthy joints. You need the joints functioning, functioning properly. A number of you have had joint replacements because you can't function well if you don't have healthy joints. And the body of Christ can't grow unless our joints are healthy. We have to be healthy in our relationships with one another. Now, notice what he says. I think it's pretty interesting here. If you look at the analogy... This is obviously a knee joint. And if you look at it on these front and rear picture of it, you have ligaments on the side. And the ligaments are what ties the body together, holds those bonds, holds that joint together tightly, pushing against each other. But that would be very dangerous. You'd have bone on bone because it causes a lot of friction, doesn't it? So you need cartilage and the meniscus in between to cushion it. Well, how does this apply to the body of Christ? What are we to be? What does this look like? Now we'll look at Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12 through 14, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Get what he says there? What binds our relationships together? What binds our joints like the ligaments? It's love. 
It's a commitment of love. I am committed to you. I'm committed to be in relationship with you no matter what comes along. That binds us together. It's the love of Christ. Love binds us. But how do you handle the friction? Because every relationship has friction, right? Every joint has friction. What cushions it? In Colossians, Paul tells us compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forgiving one another. I think what's most important is forgiveness because there will be friction. But if we can express forgiveness to one another, compassion, kindness, goodness, and forgiveness, that cushions that. So love holds us together. And then forgiveness cushions the friction as we work out our relationships. And he says, as you do that, as you have healthy joints, as your relationships are strong, held together, but cushioned by forgiveness, the body can grow. See how the body grows? Healthy relationships with one another. Healthy joints. So let me ask you, who are you out of joint with? God is asking you to rebuild relationships, to bond together in love where you can, and to cushion it with forgiveness so the body, all of us, can grow together. Finally, what you need to grow as the body of Christ, he says, is regular exercise. Notice how the passage ends. Back to Ephesians. It says, it, the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You are all the parts. We are all the parts of the body. But he says the body grows as we all do our part, as we all learn to serve, as we all learn to exercise our spiritual gifts and minister to one another. And the body will be healthy and growing to the extent that you personally are finding a place to serve and minister to others. I want to read some of a uh, testimony from Henry Charlier, part of our body. Thanks for sharing this with us, Henry. When I used to think of ministry, I often thought of things like leading a Bible study, doing evangelism, or teaching Sunday school. I also have pictures of helping the homeless or feeding those who are poor, usually as part of an organization or a church. In all of these ministries, the goal is to meet the needs of people and ultimately show them the love of Christ and to bring glory to Jesus. It's easy to see the spiritual dimension to such work. Oftentimes, these ministries involve training, special skills, require doing things that are not everyday activities. By participating in these typical ministry opportunities, I've grown closer to Christ and have matured in my faith. However, while I found such service rewarding, I didn't always pursue these with passion. I was simply mechanical in my approach, he writes. But he says, since I've learned to be involved, since I've gotten involved in the coal service ministry, my concept of ministry has undergone a major overhaul. When Cole introduced his service ministry and listed the many ways in which people could participate, I was taken by the number of practical, everyday helps that were available. As I thought about this new ministry, several ideas came to mind. I started to ask, 
How could I use my strengths and interests to serve Christ and show others his love? I've asked this question before, but this time I was thinking more broadly. For instance, I thought I could serve as a tutor for algebra, chemistry, and biology. I'd never really considered how to use my expertise in these areas as ministry opportunities. Of all the opportunities for service, however, the one that stood out to me the most was the coal moving ministry, helping people move. This seemed like an amazing opportunity to serve in a real practical way. And as it turns out, orchestrating moves happens to be something I love to do. In fact, it's really become a hobby for me, as strange as that sounds. God has really changed my heart through my involvement in the moving ministry. He's really taught me to rely on him. Quite often, a move request came to me with short notice. And for this reason, it was difficult to put together a large moving team. But in every instance, he has provided exactly the amount of people, time, etc. needed for each job. For the first few moves, I was nervous and even felt a little bit angry and frustrated that nobody could help. But God taught me that he was in charge and that it was his job to bring forth the workers. It was my job to trust him and thank him for his provision. So far, the coal moving team has been able to help out on seven moving events. In these moves, over 150 person hours went into the jobs. Obviously, God provided. God has also allowed me to value teamwork, working with others to serve him. This is the biggest change that's come about as a result of my participation in the moving ministry. In many of my past ministry experiences, I liked to be in control and work by myself. Sound familiar? (laughs) It was much easier that way. But since being part of this ministry and coordinating these moves, I found that I delight in the work done by other members of the team. I'm really thankful for their input and no longer feel threatened that I'm losing control over the move. God is in control. And he is using these amazing teammates of mine to get the work done. For me, it's no longer about the move itself, but the people whom I serve. God has changed my view of ministry. It's not about what we do, but about the motives for doing it. Anything I do to share the love of Christ for his glory is ministry. It can be done in every area of my life and doesn't simply take place during certain events designated as ministry. It's changed the way I think about my students at school and even my family at home. This is a powerful lesson learned through my involvement in the coal service ministry. See, Henry's someone who said, I want to serve and has found a place to plug in. And coal service ministry is just one avenue, but it provides opportunities for people to plug in in all kinds of areas to begin to use your gifts. It's just to help you say, if you want to serve, we will help you find a place to serve. Paul says the body grows as we exercise regularly. We learn to exercise our gifts. How are you doing with that? Are you serving somewhere? Have you found a place to exercise your spiritual gifts and serve? Because the body cannot grow Unless you are involved, ministering, using your gifts, serving, and caring. So this is a challenge to us as we look at this analogy of the body. How are we doing? Are are we learning to reach out with truth and love? Are we learning to have healthy joints, strong relationships where we're learning to love each other and forgive each other? 
And are we learning to serve where God has placed us? You see, that's what causes the body to grow. We want to take communion together now to celebrate as a body together the fact that Jesus died for us so we could be forgiven and we could be placed into the body of Christ and have his life in us, have his power, have the opportunity to be adopted in, have him as our head. So we will now celebrate that together. Let us lead us in Let me lead us in prayer, and then we will take communion together. Thank you, Lord, for creating the body. And as we approach communion together, we thank you that you gave up your body, your life for us so that we could experience your life in us, so we could be part of the body of Christ, so we could be part of this spiritual organism, this amazing thing that affects the world for you. Thank you for that, Lord. So we want to celebrate you now for what you've done for us as we take communion together in Jesus' name. Amen.